Hello my friends, this is Sarah from Weird Horizon, where we explore topics on the spooky and esoteric, the countercultural and the just plain weird. I do apologise straight out of the gate for the interruption in the upload schedule. I um, I was just starting to have a good sort of couple of episodes ahead of me and then I suddenly got hit by an illness and I could not record to any kind of standard that I would have liked so unfortunately the podcast had to take a little bit of a back seat for a little while but I am back now and I sound hopefully a bit more normal and if you have come back to rejoin me I really do appreciate it. It means a lot that anyone is listening and especially if you can kind of put up with my slightly sporadic schedule. That being said, I've got some really exciting things planned coming up and some topics that I just can't wait to share. So hopefully if you have stuck around, you will really get a kick out of what is coming. But let's carry on today. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion on the Men in Black mythos. And this will probably be the final part on it for now. But I won't promise I won't come back to this topic in the future. I probably will. And we will rejoin Paul Benowitz at the point that the campaign against him is in full swing. In the words of Mark Pilkington of Mirage Men, the crew of those influencing the world as perceived by Benowitz now included an alphabet of intelligence agencies, but most damningly also included William Moore, who provided Afosi with the latest details of ongoing investigations and research in the UFO field. Moore's information was then used to generate bogus government documentation that corroborated the UFO community's suspicions of a top-level UFO cover-up. This was a truth so painful and so upsetting that when Moore himself tried to bring this to the attention of the UFO field, at the famous disastrous speech at the MUFON conference detailed as the bittersweet climax to Greg Bishop's Project Beta, He was booed out of the room. He was met with immediate aggression. People were so unwilling to hear this from his mouth that they had been caught up in this web of lies. As previously mentioned, this discussion owes a huge debt to the above-mentioned books and a whole host of other resources, which I will make available with the show notes for anyone who might be interested in sort of rooting around where I've been rooting. So... Let's get on with it. The UFO community at this point was almost too burned by continual intervention and disinformation. It had become somewhat of an echo chamber where dissenting voices were suppressed as a self-preservation mechanism. The UFO community, as it was, fed by years of men in black type interactions and the government and military never quite closing the door on their existence, It was, and is, a community on the one hand very suspicious of the government as a whole, promising any kind of truth in particular, but hungry for the individual, the whistleblower, to bring down the structure of lies and deception and expose the truth at the centre of it. This was what Moore believed he had with his contacts. This was, and still is, what Doty hints at being, Because for all his lies and admitted manipulation, he still to this day believes that the US had made first contact in the past and that there exists evidence somewhere in the vaults of the US government. For his trouble, Moore was promised the one thing that they wanted. This evidence the government was hiding behind closed doors. 
It was exactly the kind of opportunity the UFO community was begging for, and it fell into Moore and Benowitz's lap. Why? To continue on with our theory, if you believe that the men in black theory is seeded as some government instrument of control, there is a point at which someone stumbles across a dangerous secret, extraterrestrial or military, and instead of just being ordered to silence for the reason of national security, they are fed information with an aim for influencing the UFO community, seeing just how this information spreads and transforms as it journeys through the community. When this secondary narrative of this control gets out, it feeds into the paranoia of said community. The effect on the individual in this case is merely a side effect. In all likelihood, nobody set out to destroy Benowitz's mind and life as thoroughly as it was destroyed. Doty himself seems to regret his actions to this very day. Long after his mission, when his task was over, he tried to clue his friend into the fact that he had been deceiving him for over a decade. But by then, the lie was such a huge part of Benowitz's life, and he believed it to his core, that even as Doty told him that he had been tasked to lie to him, he believed at the heart of it all that they both knew what was really going on. This small, confusing action... This deliberate piece of disinformation had massive ripple effects through the UFO community. As the community grew from the disparate groups we know of in the 50s to the huge community we have spoken of in the 70s and 80s, these small actions turned to lengthy projects. No longer did we have one whispered tale of a shadowy visitation scaring someone into silence and reading the ripples of this story spread through friends through mythmakers such as Albert Bender. With Benowitz, this effect is magnified, where over many years, more brazen information is fed out into the community, seemingly to test just how far it can go. Quoting again from Barrage Men, small ripples of irrationality can make big waves. But this does not answer the question as to why this attack on the community was necessary in the first place. One simple answer is that the UFO sightings and research into them might represent the public getting a glimpse of something they shouldn't, i.e. some secret research project, new technology, emergent weaponry or defence system. By quashing these stories, we can prevent the stories and any true information they may unwittingly contain from getting into enemy hands. But this was all still true. The position of the ufologist in popular media was weakened by successive decades of CIA and other internal policy of using the UFO as a cover-up for terrestrial projects, ridiculing and weakening the community by a variety of methods, such as the men in black we have discussed, and generally making it that anyone floating the idea of a UFO in the 80s or 90s would have done so knowing what it would do to their reputation. You're automatically dubbed not just a ufologist, but you are the UFO nut that many of these people feared being labelled as. Benowitz was aware of just how odds this facet of his personality was with his education and his clear scientific knowledge. The sheer shock of him being listened to 
shows just how far even a very educated and respected man had to travel to overcome the hurdle of being associated with the UFO. But this seeming contradiction may be the key to understanding the whole thing. I will use Pilkington's words here, as he says it way better than me. Within the UFO community, it was assumed that the CIA, the National Security Agency, and others were tools in the cover-up of the truth. But the Benowitz affair suggested that the opposite might be the case, that these agencies were in fact responsible for much of the UFO mythology. But even this might simplify things a bit too far. In Doty's case, at least, it seems like to him, even though he was participating in this mechanism of confusion, the ground he stood on was just as shaky as Benowitz. From Mirage Men, in a letter written by Doty in 1989, after his participation in the affair was made public, he had this to say, Whether Earth has been visited in the past by visitors from other planets, I simply don't have enough information to make a personal decision. If I should base my decision on information that I had access to during my government service, I would have to say, yes, Earth has been visited. However, I am not 100% certain that the information I had access to was entirely accurate. So does anyone have the full idea as to what's going on? Is Doty simply caught in the web of his own lies, telling them for so long and so persuasively that he has simply come to absorb them as his own truth? If early on in his investigations, Benowitz was ordered to stop on the grounds of security, he surely would have. He was proud of his work and a patriot, volunteering his information as he truly believed it would be of use to the US military. He wasn't trying to uncover some big plot. Although he was interested in sci-fi and UFO stories, they were a hobby for him. They weren't a life's pursuit until they were made to be. By 1981, Benowitz modified his computer system to decode alien transmission, translating repeated signals into specific words such as UFO. And by now, another important player had also entered the picture, Professor J. Allen Hynek, famed UFO researcher who had worked to assist the US Air Force with Project SIGN and had worked to create encounter classifications, the classifications which lend Close Encounters of the Third Kind its title amongst other towering achievements in the field. This again gave Benowitz even more encouragement that he was on the right track, and what's more, at the forefront of a great discovery, the kind of goal and pursuit that he would devote his life towards. Hynek was instructed by the Air Force, according to another Afosi pawn, it must be noted, more, to deliver a new PC to Benowitz to help with his investigations. In reality, the computer contained dummy programs designed not to scramble his transmissions, but to spew out a huge unfolding narrative about his alien visitors. Again, why? From Mirage Men. 
Within a year of making contact with the security forces at Kirtland, Benowitz had become trapped in a paranoid feedback loop. Benowitz's paranoid fantasies began to seep their way into the UFO underground. Afosi were directly shaping what people thought about UFOs and were using Bill Moore to provide them with feedback. It was a textbook psychological operations scenario. So, psychological operations, this psyop, if you have any interest in conspiracy theories, this will immediately ring a bell. But yeah, as summarized by Pilkington's words, it was absolutely classical psyop scenario. There was very specific information being disseminated. And then the effect of this information coming back was read and then the information was tweaked and sent back out there. One such example is with the growing connection between cattle mutilation and UFO sightings. So as we mentioned, the connection between the two can only trace its origins back to around the late 70s. So if you're interested in this a bit more, check out our previous part on this discussion. But with the unfolding law Benowitz is putting out into the community, this connection was strengthened, encouraged no doubt by his new friend in Doty, to take his investigations in that direction. And this was kind of an emerging theory at this point, and Benowitz was not the first, but he was really starting to take it seriously that there was a real connection. And this was a new piece of the puzzles, a new part of UFO law. So in this theory, the mutilations, as they were, may be more likely the leftovers from a military experimentation upon the poor animals. So this would explain why cattle is often found um, showing signs of the removal of tongues and lips and genitalia and gastric organs, less as a result of a bizarre breeding program from extraterrestrials, and more that these are the areas that are the most prone to infection and contamination as they are the entrances and exits to the body. And therefore, they are the first place a human would look if they were trying to rule out viral, chemical, or bacterial agents or weapons. It could be that linking these occurrences, specifically with UFOs, helped to obscure a clandestine operation that was being carried out on privately owned cattle. Or it could be an attempt to associate UFOs with fear. A link had also recently been established between cattle mutilations and the spread of prion-related diseases such as mad cow disease. So this is a concept which still instills fear and panic in the idea that these diseases may one day pass from cow to human through the food chain. A Strange Harvest, a 1980 documentary by Linda Moulton Howe, popularised this idea. She's another very key player in the UFO community to this day. After witnessing the regression hypnosis sessions by Myrna Hansen, Benowitz, of course, had become utterly convinced by this connection and, to the day, remained inextricably associated in the minds of many. It is one of the truly mimetic sort of forms of UFO lore in that you have a picture of the flank saucer and you have a picture of a cow being pulled into the saucer by a tractor beam. It's one of these sort of 
images are instantly recognisable and you understand a bit of the law behind it. And it was not by chance, it seems then, that Benowitz was chosen as an entry point to the UFO community. As mentioned, he was really championing this more paranoid UFO theory than some. Not as paranoid as others, but still it was a very paranoid sort of viewpoint he was taking and this specific fear. So even if he wasn't intentionally chosen, there was a part of his theories, part of his personal bias that was exploited here. As mentioned, although UFOs were not at the start of this Benowitz's life work, he was aware of them and he was working towards spreading information on some of the more terrifying of UFO encounters. For Doty though, at a point it just seemed harder and harder to justify his position as protector of national secrets at Kirtland Base. If, for all of his efforts, useful as they were as a locus of fear for the UFO community, they drew more and more attention to the base and to the transmissions Benowitz was receiving. By this point, of course, Benowitz really was onto something he shouldn't know, and if Benowitz could do this, could receive these sorts of transmissions, brilliant as he was, someone else could as well. So sensing an opportunity to shift Benowitz's attention away from Kirtland, Fosi began set-dressing the Archulator Mesa to look more like the underground base that the physicist believed it to be. So Doty claims that those at Afosi started a complicated gambit by which they would haul old broken equipment, such as pieces of machinery and vehicles, up to the mesa, as well as clearing areas to look like landing sites of UFOs, complete with little scorch marks and everything. All of this was to convince Benowitz even further that he was onto the right track and that he had stumbled across an active extraterrestrial base. He also claims, doubt this is, um, that they set up a system to project lights above the mesa to create a, a steady stream of UFO reports, so even encouraging local military to perform routine drills in the area to kind of maintain the illusion of constant use. Encouraged by FOC, Benowitz then distributed regular reports about the base to the UFO community, incorporating his own photographs of blurry UFOs and indistinct surface features on the Mesa. When Benowitz photographed this planted evidence, when his images were submitted for analysis, again, I hope you can hear these air quotes, the images then were of course switched out. Benowitz still believed wholeheartedly in Doty and in his helpers at Afosi, feeling of course that they were encouraging him in this really important vital work that was potentially protecting the lives of all Americans and the world. But when his evidence was lost, he would recreate his images of where the cleared debris used to be, presenting his friends in the community with fuzzy images of just nothing. It was probably at this point that his friends began to fear for his mental health in that there was a not healthy amount of projection in some of these theories that Benowitz had. 
Of course, this is to say it is not all entirely made up in his head, but there was an encouraged implication of paranoia saying it at this point. So as the months went on, Benowitz's paranoia just grew in a feedback loop until he was wholeheartedly convinced that this underground base represented the central location from which the aliens abducted, mutilated, and controlled the minds of their victim. Do you remember when we talked about Myrna Hansen's regression sessions and he would have her shielded from the rays of the UFOs with foil? This was the sort of mind control that he was talking about. He believed that the UFOs would project these rays into the minds of those that they'd abducted and distort their perception of reality. So it seems kind of telling that this idea of a distorted perception of reality was starting to manifest in his theories, or, well, had been manifesting from day one, to be honest. And their goal, of course, in his mind, was to slowly take over the US military, the power structure, and eventually the world. So Project Beta, which lends its name, of course, to the book Project Beta, was a 25-page report in Benowitz's own hand as to what he found in his investigations and revealed just how much of it was deliberately encouraged by Richard Doty and those at Afosi, if, of course, we are to believe Doty. And the anxieties it presents are tied to the UFO community to this day. Even after this story came to light, even people like Bill Moore came forward and said, this is the involvement I've had in it, the anxieties that it sort of puts forward and some of the theories persist to this day. Whether you believe Doty, Benowitz, neither of them, both of them, as mentioned, these themes persist. And I'll present Benowitz's summary here again from Mirage Men. The report itself is presented, I believe in its entirety, in Project Beta. So Benowitz's investigation comprised of Detection and disassembly of alien communication and video channels, both local, Earth and near space. Constant reception of video from alien ship and underground base view screen. Typical alien, humanoid and at times apparent homo sapiens. Established direct communications with the alien using a computer and a form of hexadecimal code with graphics and printouts. Through the alien communication loop, the true underground base location was divulged by the alien and precisely pinpointed. Subsequent aerial and ground photographs revealed landing pylons, ships on the ground, entrances, beam weapons and apparent launch ports, along with aliens on the ground in electrostatically supported vehicles. But this constant communication with the extraterrestrials was not something aspirational. It did not, in Benowitz's mind, represent an ushering in of a new era of human consciousness, where we take our place in a new intelligent universe as brothers. In his report, he says this, They are not to be trusted. If it is suspected if one was considered a friend, 
and if one were to call upon that friend in time of dire physical threat, the friend would quickly side with the other side. Pilkington, quite rightly, draws a parallel between Benowitz and his long-term friend, Doty, and this relationship between human and extraterrestrial. What's more, it also sets up an idea around UFOs that nothing and nobody can be trusted. As Benowitz's mental health began to suffer more and more from spiralling paranoia, and by the mid-80s, Benowitz was of the belief that aliens were climbing through his bedroom walls, drugging him and compelling him to drive out into the desert, where he would suddenly come back into consciousness. Folding in his suffering health into the evolving UFO myth, by the end of his struggles, Benowitz didn't even recognise a retired doty when he came to visit him. I will mention it. It is believed that some of these even stranger manifestations may be rooted in some kind of truth. As we said, when Benowitz was at you know his lowest point mentally almost, he believed himself to be drugged and taken from his room, but when examined, there appeared to be marks on his arms. We don't know if they were self-inflicted or if someone had been coming into his room and in- injecting them, That, but there was physical evidence there on his body, which is hard to ignore. It's hard to say it's all in his mind. And in his report, when he mentions images, receiving images, video feeds, At one point in this, apparently, the NSA and CIA were involved in creating UFO films, the kind of films that he would be expecting to see, and broadcasting them across the road into his receiving instruments for Benowitz to see, for only Benowitz to see. So it is easy, of course, to point the finger at Doty, in all of this, just squarely a Doty. So again from Mirage Men, Richard C. Doty was a Mephistophelian character who haunted the underworld of UFO literature. To some, Doty was a dark knight caught between the intelligence world that he had once operated in and the world of the UFO researchers to whom he provided incredible information about the alien presence on earth. To others he was a pariah, a tool of the government conspiracy, a sower of disinformation and a traitor to the cause of shattering UFO secrecy. But even this is a simplification of the concept, there is no easy (laughs) truths in this unfortunately. There is a need to categorise things in black or white, But I hope something that is clear at this point is not the lies that are told and encouraged, although they are very intentional, but the intent behind telling these lies, how and to whom they are told to, and the layers of confusion around them. Government was telling lies about UFOs, just not quite in the way that the UFO community wanted to believe. We see this need to this day, this desire for the US government and military to come clean and finally give us the truth that they knew and have been hiding. But as Doty hints, 
this belief itself may be too simplistic. This belief might be part of the kind of escapist fantasy of UFO disclosure. Maybe nobody knows the truth at all. Maybe there is no truth to begin with. I would like to briefly talk about some of the ways in which Doty's campaign spread into the UFO community in very intentional ways. So, according to an account in Mirage Men, Afosis fabricated Aquarius documents, which were initially shown to Benowitz to make him truly believe he was onto something and sort of put his name in the ring alongside famous uh, and a sort of fabled UFO investigative branch. Apparently these documents were also shown to Linda Howe, um, as mentioned, the maker of A Strange Harvest. So her documentary brought the cattle mutilation UFO abduction theory to true public consciousness, and it set her career on a path with conspiracy theories that she is still hugely involved in to this day. So her site, earthfiles.com, serves as a repository for a project investigating, as she terms it, real X-Files. So it's organised in archive form, organised chronologically, by date, from 1998 to the ever-evolving presence. But when Linda had her brush with the Aquarius documents, they were headed as a briefing paper for the President of the United States. But it's not the why they're even shown that interests us today, but what kind of messages they were purposely feeding back into the community. So this document laid out by now what is quite a familiar narrative of a UFO crash at Roswell, with living aliens being kept alive by the US military. But where it gets even more bizarre is the supposed story for them being here in the first place. That is, the race was not alien as we think of it, but had been on Earth for thousands of years, and in fact was still here. So this we can imagine is drawing on themes from the controversial Shaver mystery of an extraterrestrial menace actually turning out to be very, very terrestrial. They had genetically seeded human life and guided our development through spiritual leaders, including one who was placed here to teach peace and love 2,000 years ago. This was not just noise in order to deflect eyes away from military experiments, secret craft or even biological experiments or weaponry. This explicitly drew the UFO theory in an almost circular pattern back to the faith-based ideas of contactees and channelers. Much of these ideas stemmed from discussions between Moore and a friend in the field called Bob Pratt. Doty encouraged inquiry in this direction and strengthened evidence in support of it. So Aquarius also confirmed something long suspected, that Project Blue Book was an intentionally ineffectual ruse to draw eyes away from the real investigative body, MJ-12. The MJ-12, or Majestic 12, and the Majestic 12 documents fractured the UFO community permanently. You can even argue that it hobbled it. To this day, although any and all documents mentioning MJ-12 have proven beyond doubt to be hoaxes, 
they represent a truth that many just still want to believe in. That there is an organisation above and beyond all that we know of that knows the truth about UFOs. And so, in a weird way, we have come completely full circle. UFO myth is a much more complicated, divisive, unsettling and anxiety-inducing than simply an evolved form of the idea of Cold War anxieties played out in the sky. It is more complicated than it would seem as even just an evolved form of the men in black myth, as at its root it is predicated on the idea of great harm being meted against the individual, the citizen, under the guise of great good. It underlines the concept of trusting nobody and nothing but yourself. So The Flying Saucer, the first UFO book, arguably, so this is the fiction book titled The Flying Saucer, opens with a reference to a real speech made by British Foreign Secretary Anthony Eden at a United Nations conference in 1947. Sometimes I think the people of this distracted planet will never really get together until they find someone in Mars to get mad against. This is a concept that will forever be raised as to why the UFO community is continually weakened, pruned, hemmed in, but never quite quashed, never entirely gotten rid of, because it provides something of great use to the government and military, i.e. some unifying distraction. The alleged crash of a flying disc at Roswell, New Mexico, in early 1947, is the creation story of the American UFO law, the moment when the scales fell from the American government's eyes and the reality of our place in the universe became clear. So this is if you believe, of course, in this nugget of truth, this disclosure, that the uh, government may have had this true contact with aliens and this is a truth that can be known and will recontextualize all that we know. As far as UFO's law strays from belief in the government or military, though, in any kind of voice of authority, there is still a belief, as mentioned in this genuine first contact, and whether by accident or intent, that after this contact, the Earth stepped into a new era alongside its neighbours in a greater universe. If the Army Air Force's behaviour in issuing the flying disc press release and then retracting it seems strange to us in hindsight. Bear in mind that it did succeed in closing the lid on the story for three decades. So dubbed the press release that launched a thousand UFOs. This refers of course to Roswell, an area to this day that is believed to hold some evidence of this first contact. And When you consider that this area is shrouded in secrecy and has been kept in the public eye for so long, it is not mad to imply that there may be some intent in allowing this. Governments in general don't like to publicise their mistakes, leading to the assumption that this mistake in issuing the flying disc press release was not a mistake at all. There was something to be gained from doing this. 
and there is something to be gained from keeping attention specifically at Roswell, but keeping this shroud of secrecy over what is contained within it. Keeping tight control on the evolving narrative, the evolving UFO narrative, would mean that you can help to define what a UFO is. You can have better control over what it is and what it isn't, meaning it becomes much less an exploitable form that can be used by foreign parties, which is, of course, the, the real um, anxiety and sort of Cold War aspect of early UFO theories in that this can be used, this can be exploited by foreign parties. But if you keep yourself close to the centre, you can have control over this form that others may want to exploit in its potential to cause mass hysteria. If you have tight control over how and where the myths circulate, how to get information out there and the kind of forms it comes back in when it's undergone the usual metamorphosis in the public's hands, you have an idea that can be dispensed and effectively manipulated when and how you want it. Once it's out of the bag, of course, it'll never truly go away, and individual events or documents can effectively rile the whole community up very quickly. The UFO is one such idea, one that has evolved greatly over time and come to serve many needs and aims for all manner of peoples. It is an idea that has never fully left public consciousness. This concurrent narrative of a US re-evaluating its place in the universe in a brave new world is a great diversion tactic to effectively turn eyes up to the heavens at a moment's notice, while simultaneously placing the US at the forefront as leaders of the free world and ambassadors for all of Earth. The UFO community as it exists today, however, is greatly diversified, but still the US government seems to have a monopoly on whistleblowers, on leaked documents, on mysterious footage, and I can't say that this is incidental, I feel like there is some intent behind this. But before this turns into a completely rambling mess... If this seems too much to take in, I want you to consider this. One, maybe I am not working with the full facts, or the subject is so clouded in disinformation to the point a coherent narrative is just impossible to weave. Or two, maybe I am just simply not a skilled storyteller. (laughs) That is probably the most likely. Three, There is a reason we seek a coherent narrative around these facts, and certain fragments in isolation capture our attention. I'm going to present an idea that I am not fully convinced of by myself, but I think it is an interesting extra layer to all of this. The interaction between these events and the media around UFOs, generally. There is the idea that Hollywood's steady stream of sci-fi is either a deliberate exaggeration designed to make the truth look unbelievable, the you've-been-watching-too-many-movies defence, or it's a way of psychologically preparing the populace for staggering alien secrets yet to be revealed. 
A link is tied in this by a Guardian article to the 2016 documentary by Adam Curtis, Hypernormalization. Put simply, it argues that governments, financiers, and technological utopians have, since the 1970s, given up on the complex real world and built a simpler fake world, run by corporations and kept stable by politicians. Could this all be a way of making a simplified narrative of good versus evil? An unknowable truth so fantastic you'd wish you'd never asked the question. Whatever the truth is, as Doty mentions in Mirage Men, if there is a truth out there, there is not one person who knows the whole truth of it. Maybe it is a truth simply beyond our means of understanding. Something truly alien. But is everything I'm saying now just feeding this machine? Just underscoring these links and synaptic pathways that they just want me to underline? Again, we have to ask, what is the purpose of this information even being out there? Unfortunately, we cannot point the finger towards the sheer force of will and ingenuity of those involved in heroically getting their word out there. It is not simply enough to have the truth. There are many ways an uncomfortable truth can be silenced. So what if this isn't an uncomfortable truth? What if this is all part of the plan? From The Guardian, I get my summarising words. What better way of throwing sceptics off the scent than disseminating the confessions of an ex-man in black like Richard Doty in documentaries and articles in respectable news organisations, like this one. This one, of course, refers to The Guardian. I am neither respectable nor a news organisation, but that will not stop me from being another cog in this machine. I hope you found this interesting. I hope at the core of all of this, you remember that there are real people involved. And if this is a complicated web if somewhere along the line this is going along someone's plan they involved real people in it and Paul Benowitz was a real person and a respected scientist and he suffered and his family suffered for the sake of this very complicated gambit and I think his name should be more well known maybe it is but not enough for my liking and hopefully this will change just a little bit But this is Sarah from Weird Horizon. You can find me and you can bother me on Twitter as Weird Horizon and also on Instagram as Weird Horizon Podcast, where I will try to update you on my upload schedule and discussions on upcoming topics. As mentioned, I will probably be back on this topic in the future, at least around this topic. But for now, This has been the Men in Black Mythos. I hope you found it interesting. It has kind of spanned a bit of a longer time period than some of my previous topics, but I found it very interesting. There is an unending wealth of cool stuff to talk about in terms of UFO lore, so I'm sure I'll be back in this neck of the woods. But for now, bye.